AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk. Comedians or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello, welcome to another edition of Club Shay Shay. I am your host, also the proprietor of Club Shay Shay, and the guy that's stopping by for conversation and a drink today is the first African-American driver to win Rookie of the Year in NASCAR. He's the first African-American driver in 50 years to win a NASCAR truck series. He's the highest finishing NASCAR driver in Daytona 500 history. He finished second in 2018. The long uh, African-American full-time driver in NASCAR, Bubba Wallace. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Yeah. All my life. Grinding all my life, sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Bubba, how you doing, bro? Uh, I'm all good, brother. I appreciate you having me on. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. I want to ask you a question. When you were growing up and your friends started calling you Bubba, did you object to it at first, or you like, okay, I'll be Bubba? I honestly. I don't I think it's weird for people to call me Daryl because I'm so used to Bubba. Like right. it started out with my sister the day I was born. And so all of my family, cousins, uncles, aunts and aunts, everybody, just everything was Bubba. And so once you got to the racetrack, we were we were using Daryl a little bit. And so I was so used to Bubba that it never really felt different to me. So how was it? when you got around people that didn't call you Bubba and everybody else referred to you as Bubba and they're looking at you like, what? that's Daryl, why are they calling you Bubba? <laughs> yeah, so that was funny seeing, playing the, the name game with a lot of people. Um, you know, now I've, I've kind of used the Bubba brand uh, in right. the racing career. So Bubba's kind of the household name now. Um, but there's only a few people that I won't allow to call me Bubba, which is funny. My girlfriend, when she says it, it's it's almost like she's making fun of the name or joking. <laughs> it, it, her tone just doesn't sound right. So I I do not allow her to say Bubba. So so have it, has it always been like that? Has you all the gir girlfriends is Daryl? Everybody yeah. else is Bubba. Yeah, that's how it's always been. For some reason, I, I don't know. I don't know. I, I haven't accepted her to be able to say that yet. Bubba, you're in a sport that's very unique because your Super Bowl, your championship starts first. You look at football, it's the Super Bowl, yep. end of the season. Baseball, yep. World Series at the end of the season. Most yep. sports, 
Their championship is at the end of the season. Your sport, what you gear up for is at the beginning of the season. How excited are you in 2021 about the Daytona 500 and your chances of winning that race? Yeah, no, I'm I'm pumped because this is an incredible opportunity for me. And, and I think if we look at statistics, Daytona might be my best racetrack okay. from a number standpoint. Right. But for me personally, it's, it's totally different. But from numbers and just how it comes down to the data, it is my best track. So uh, we've always had a really good speedway program, you know, being a part of the, the Petty family for the last three years now, switching over to, to MJ and company um, with 2311 Racing and Toyota. I'm, I'm excited about that. So getting, getting there's, there's so many emotions going into this race, just right. from a new team, new personnel. Uh, new opportunities, got to capitalize on everything. So I I'm excited about it. So ready to get things going for our biggest race of the year. It's always uh, been like that. And so it's tradition. So we're all used to it. What, so the transition, we, we, we'll talk about uh, Richard Petty going back, mm -hmm. but the transition, as you mentioned, to a new team, Jordan, brand Jordan. This is his first mm -hmm. time. I think he's teamed up with Danny Hamlin and yeah. you're driving the, the 23 car, the Jumpman car. What's what's it been like, and what's your expectations with this new tr new team? Yeah, it's it's actually been really well. Really going, things are going smoothly, and that's from my point of view. You talk to crew chief and competition director; they're like, "We need a lot more time." So right. uh, for us, I was actually in the shop today, um, getting seat belts fitted, getting the seat fitted right. So uh, it's crazy to think that it's already January fourteenth. So basically, halfway through this month, and in two weeks, two and a half weeks, we're heading down to Daytona. So. Uh, there's a lot of moving parts that we still have to get going for us, but I'm uh, I'm excited and pumped with the direction that we're heading. Um, having conversations with people that have been around Jordan, uh, that that are part of our team, is helping everybody grow together and kind of uh, understand the expectations. And so I've yet to meet MJ in person, but we've, really? we've shared some some text messages back and forth. Yeah. Um, I think the weather's too nice down in Florida for him to come on up here. I, I'm not, not trying to speak for him though, but, um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to shape up to be a really great year for us. We, we get through the first couple races. It'll be good. Well, you do know, I don't know how much you haven't met him, but I don't know how much you've heard about him, but he's not a guy that, you know, is going to take time. He's not a time type of guy. He's a guy that wants to win now yeah. immediately, like yesterday. So I think I'm, I'm safe to, to the, my, my first encounter with MJ was on the phone. Denny Hamlin had texted me, hey, are you free around four o'clock today? I'm like, yeah, sure. So four o'clock rolls around. If you know Denny, he's he's usually a couple minutes late. So it was about 4.30. He calls me. He's like, hey, what are you doing? Uh, I was like, just sitting here messing around on my phone. He was like, here, somebody wants to talk to you. And I, I had no idea MJ, where, where he was what at the time. And you just hear, hey, if we do this deal, there's no more running in the back, all right? I'm like, that's MJ. This? And I was like, oh, that's MJ. So that was that was my first encounter with talking to MJ. And so he's I know he's all business and so am I. So I'm excited about it. So expectation, he said, and he meant that. I mean, he said it, I'm absolutely. sure he said it in a joking manner, but he's absolutely for so what is what is, what are your expectations? I mean, you know, you got you gonna have the best of the best. This is no, no, you know, shoddy. We might run 10 races, we might do five races. This is full time. And you're you got Denny Hamlin, you got MJ back in this thing, one hundred. Yep, yep, for sure. And, and my mentality, my mentality has changed. My mentality changed when I watched the Last Dance. It's like, okay, okay all right, I see, 
I see what I need to be like as an athlete. If I want to reach these goals and this is what I need to be like, I mean, you put that no fear and put the fear of God and everybody else mentality. It's like, okay, you know, that's, that's what you got to have. And hearing stories about MJ and uh, like, like I said, he has, he has people from his camp being a part of this team. Craig Robinson got to meet him, talk with him. He said for his motorcycle team, he would sit there on the grid and, and watch certain drivers and riders and be like, look at the way he's walking. He don't want it. He don't want it. He ain't got it. And it's like, damn, I better make sure I walk and talk the right way. So it, there's a lot of, of, of pressure, but I keep telling them after the year we had of 2020, pressure is nothing but a thing now. The Daytona 500 is your biggest race event. Obviously, there are others. You know, you got Charlotte, you got the 600, and you got Talladega, but there's nothing like Daytona. The yep. pageantry that goes along with that. What would winning that race mean to you and what you're trying to accomplish? <clears throat> I, I think, you know, that, that race, anybody can win. The Speedway races, four races that everybody in the field has an opportunity to win. Now, you go out and capitalize on it. It's very hard to do. You know, it's it's an incredible feat for Denny to be, you know, back-to-back, -back, uh, you know, three-time Daytona 500 winner right now. And and uh, and so being able to do that, I would love to, to start to shut up some of those haters that are right. out there. It's like, okay, you know, we got it. But knowing – Part of me knowing that, hey, anybody can go win this race. If you line your, your uh, if you put all your eggs in that basket, dot your I's and cross your T's, you know, anybody can do it. So Daytona would just be the start of that. And then we build off that. And then we go win us another one. And then it's just like look in the mic and, and or look in the camera and drop the mic. So that's, that's kind of what we're expecting. You're on the final lap. Your ball's Denny Hamlin. You're in second. And you might have to bump and run him. Or you might have to do something that you, you know, if it's anybody else other than your boss, you might, you no problem. What would you be willing to do to win that race? The final lap, your boss is in first, Bubba Wallace is in second. What would you be willing to do to win that race? Well, let me say Denny's minority, <laughs> let, Denny's minority owner, MJ's majority owner. So, okay. <laughs> so for me, I've always, you race how they race you, and if he didn't wreck me to get by me, then I won't wreck him, but I'm going to do everything but that to win my first race, to win the day oh, 25. I, I, look, I understand you, but you said you do everything but wreck him if he didn't wreck you. Well, if he if he wrecked you, you probably wouldn't be in that position. So That's you true. might have to give him He better wreck me good enough. He better wreck <laughs> me good enough so I don't get back to that position. <laughs> You, I, I mentioned earlier, you came from the Richard Petty, who's mm -hmm. the the godfather of NASCAR. The king, uh, yes, sir. He, he's the king, yes. And and I, I grew up being from rural South Georgia, and mm -hmm. I knew Richard Petty and Kale Yarbrough and the Allison and Sterling. Yeah. And all those guys, Harry Ganton, uh, yep. Bill Elliott, Austin Bill from Dawsonville, he's from Georgia. Yep. What was it like to be around him, to pick his mind and to, to, to hear how he looked at racing as opposed to how you viewed racing? Yeah, it was totally different. So there was obviously a huge era, era gap there uh, from when he climbed out to when I climbed in. And, and hearing the stories between there's, – there's, no, there's not a better duo in the racing world than Richard Petty and Dale Inman. And, you know, there's a, a lot of people that I will, will miss uh, from that organization, but those two guys are at the top of the list for just from hearing those stories. And so, I mean, they were, they were racing, you know, three or four times out of the week driving to California on Monday, being in New York on Wednesday, and it's just like, holy cow. So 
all those stories that you heard of what they'd gone through, how, what they had to do, breaking down on the side of the road, driving the race car to the racetrack, you know, those are, those are the true American badass hero days back then. And while things have changed and evolved and gotten much bigger and, and faster and lighter and whatever you want to call it, the racing is totally different from back then. And uh, so you had to learn how to adapt to that. And, and, and both of them get it. You know, uh, Richard, for both of them being in their 80s, it's incredible how in tune they were with the race cars with the, the the format of the races, whatever, the ins and outs of NASCAR, they were in, in tune with what's going on. So while it was a little difficult hearing some, like, hey, this is what we tried back here in the 70s and 80s, try this, that it's like, well, it's a little bit different now. We're a little bit faster. The cars are built a little bit different. So <laughs> it was good to hear and, and, and understand the knowledge that they went through and that they utilized to, to be the best that they can be. Please tell me that when you drove for those three years, if I'm not mistaken, he drove uh, drove Dodges, so mm -hmm. he had all the Hemis, the big. So he had mm -hmm. the Cudas and he had the Challengers and the Chargers yep. and the Super Bs. Yep. Please tell me, as a part of your deal, you ended up getting one of those. I did not, and maybe that's oh, maybe it's coming. It's coming down the road. We had a great partnership with Chevrolet when I jumped on. So, uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't get that in the deal. The first thing I got from him, which I thought was cooler than anything. This is when I filled in those four races in 2017 uh, before signing on full-time. He called me up. He said, hey, I want you to come up to the to uh, Level Cross, to, to Petty's Garage, the museum. And at the end of that tour, got to see all the, the, the race cars there, the Dodges and everything. And he, I walked away with one of his cowboy hats that he signed. And this was before I was a part of the, the, the team or anything full-time. And I thought that was one of the coolest things. So it's a centerpiece here downstairs in my living room. That's a great conversation piece for sure, but it's 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 a centerpiece on my table. Always have that. Pre-COVID, what is it like at one of those racetracks to hear 100,000, 200,000 fans and to hear that crowd mm -hmm. as, as you go around that track? Because you can hear, hear it building. And, mm -hmm. in the and, and when it's coming down to the end, okay, you got the final couple of laps, and then everybody is on their feet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, there's nothing like it. You know, there's, I just can't wait until everyone is safe and healthy from COVID and we get, you know, the vaccines in place and just get this virus out of here. Um, I can't wait for fans to come back for, for uh, to full capacity because everything that went on in 2020 has brought a new demographic, has brought a different face to NASCAR. And I want to see that in person and I want to feel that vibe and that energy. And I feel like it'll be much greater than anything that we've had. Uh, you know, different from what other people say, I strongly believe that the vibe that NASCAR is putting out right now, we have a lot of momentum behind what we're doing. And so pre-COVID, it was great. And I can only imagine it's going to be 10 times better than that once we can get back to that 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 category of no, no fear of, of having a virus or anything like that. You got 30, 30 40 cars on the track, mm -hmm. 840 horsepower. Can you hear the crowd? over all that engine noise? No, I can't. You know, when we're in the car, we're, we're, you know, we're locked in. We got spotters and crew chiefs talking to us, but um, no, I, I cannot hear the crowd. I wish I could, but <laughs> we, we still put on a show if we can't hear them or not. You know, I, 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 I'm interested to, to know how much, like, if I'm playing, obviously, if I'm going to play a game to Super Bowl, I'm going to go practice. You know, mm -hmm. tennis, you practice, golf, you practice. How do you practice in NASCAR? How much is an actual going to the course and driving and how much is a simulation? 
Well, it's 95% simulation. We don't practice anymore. Um, you know, there's no well, cars too expensive, too too risky. To a the lot of a lot of it has the funding to do with it. Uh, they're trying to bridge the gap from the big teams to the small teams. Right. Uh, you know, back in say ten years ago, you could go test Monday through through Friday, and you know you, you could test Monday through Sunday if you had a, a, a sole test team to go out and do that while right. while we're racing on Sundays. So, uh, but then you started seeing some of the disadvantages for the smaller teams. They couldn't afford that, and so now it's about 10 to 15 tests that NASCAR puts on. They send one car from every organization to come out and test and be a part of it. If they, if the teams allow that, or if they, if they choose to do that. Um, but now with COVID testing is out and then now with the schedules, we're showing up and just racing. And so now it's gone all to simulation. So I'm on a, a new sch uh, schedule with uh, Toyota being a part of the TRD family, you know, being up at the simulator every Wednesday now for a couple hours or a few hours, uh, a week doing that stuff, figuring out what we need, figuring out, you know, what helped us this weekend, implement that in the next weekend and get a feel for it. You know, it's not 100% true to feel, but it still gives you a general idea of what to expect when you unload. And, and it gives the engineers uh, some data to look at to get that much closer. You just, it's, we're, we're fighting for thousands of an inch, three thousands of an inch, you know, that's, you can't even, I can't even show you that on my hands, on my right. fingers here. But that's what we're fighting for. That's how you get that edge in front of people. How, you know, and like I, I'm trying to equate what you do to what we do. Like if I play one opponent, I might have a certain group of plays. And then mm -hmm. I play the next opponent. I have maybe some of those same plays, but add some different plays on. How much is rate? How much different is it from track to track? It's, it's very different. As much as, you know, there's, we call them the, the cookie cutter tracks, the, the mile and a halfs that all kind of look the same, the Charlottes, the Texas, the Kansas. They might look the same, but they to totally race different. Like it's, okay. it's uh, you know, some places have a lot of character, a lot of bumps, nooks and crannies that you got to muscle around. Uh, Texas is mainly one groove right around the bottom. Charlotte is from the bottom lane to the top and bumpy. And so you just got to figure things out. And so you have a notebook, you have, you know, the, the debrief notes from years prior, races prior where you are – oh, this is what we did here. You're rolling out of the brake here. You're picking up the brake here. You're picking up the gas here. Certain things like that. So it's it's pretty similar to for you playing different opponents. It's like, okay, we got to bring this set of rules out. We put this one back. We put this back on the shelf, bring this one out. So yeah, you, you definitely go through a lot of, um, of different mind changes, mindsets for uh, different racetracks. I'm, I'm, I'm curious because, okay, they say a car, just to just say for the sake of argument, a, a, a particular car gets my car gets 35 miles to the gallon, but I need to do X, Y, and Z in order for it to get that 35 miles to the gallon. Mm -hmm. You might say, well, I can go 20 laps on a, on a, on a tank of gas or however many laps you go. Mm -hmm. How much variance is that for speed? If you say I'm going to go somewhere between 155, 180, and if I go three or four laps, I'm going 175 to 190. So how much variance is that as far as gas mileage and what you're doing actually in the car? Yeah, well, there's there's a lot of variance, especially at the speedway stuff, because you, you think everybody's just wide open, uh, <laughs> turning left and, and whatnot. But it's funny, the leader is mainly the only one that's wide open. Everybody else is saving fuel. We're riding around, riding around half throttle, quarter throttle, yeah. like trying not to use as much fuel, and that 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 number starts to rise. That all of a sudden your strategy starts to come into play. Ooh, we can pit on lap 19. Ah, he just got another lap for us. Now we can pit on lap 20. Then you start, you know, plugging in those numbers. 
this is why I just drive. So I'm taking my best educated guess because I'm not trying to go against my engineers here. Um, but there's a lot of variance at the speedways. And then even at, even at other racetracks, it's like, hey, we need you to save like a lap and a half of fuel here. You start to do different things, shut the car off while you're racing, entering in the corners, using the clutch to refire it, get back going. There's a lot of things we can wow. do inside the race car to, to, um, to advance or prolong our fuel mileage. Does anyone outside of you and your team know you're actually doing that? Can the fans in the stands tell that? Because I know we can't tell that at home. I've only been to a handful of racetracks. I went to Sonoma, which is the yep. road course, which is yep. totally different than anything yep. that's big speedways because yep. it's a lot of, you know, you get up to like a quarter of a mile and you go foot and then you back into a corner or curve. So yep. that's very, but does anybody else know besides you and your team that you're actually doing that in the car? Well, it depends on who's listening. Um, you know, now with the access to that that fans have, that the media has, everybody can listen to what we're saying. And so when the spotter, the crew chief comes over and it's like, all right, we need to go in fuel saving mode. Then TV picks up on that. And it's like, oh, 23 cars out saving fuel. We might have an in-car camera that weekend. Then they can come in and hear it all. So yes, anybody, if they're listening at the right time, at the right moment, they can understand and hear it. You're driving for Jordan now and to have, that 23 or you have that Jumpman logo, you know what that logo represent. That logo more than anything represents excellence. It, yep. it rep represents clutchness. It represents if Bubba Wallace has a chance to win the race within the last two, three, four laps, Bubba Wallace needs to make sure that 23 car is in victory lane. Yes, absolutely. I know it's a, it's a, like I said earlier, it's a total different mind shift that I've, that I've gone through and I've been racing for 17 years and I can't remember a time like this where the opportunity is so high and, you know, myself being mentally prepared, physically prepared to capitalize on that. That's the biggest thing. I have to make sure I show up for 36 weeks with 150% effort. Jordan wants 200%. So let me, <laughs> let me restate that. I got to show up with 200% effort. Now he's going to text me and he's like, no, I want 300. It's always, he wants more. And, and I love that mentality i love that that pressure that's going to come with that and it's just going to motivate you and emo not only myself but crew chief engineers people at the shop we have to execute and be on it from the time we rolled out for daytona until we pack up at phoenix we have to be on it and so there's going to be some bumps and mistakes along the way from myself from our crew but we're in this together as a team and as long as we minimize those mistakes and put our best foot forward each and every each and every weekend and uh, give it our all then hey that's what we got this sport more than any is is about sponsorships. It's not like the NFL where everybody you have a salary cap, everybody gets to spend up to here, and nobody can spend below that. It's like that yep. in, in a lot of sports. Baseball, mm -hmm. it's a free for all. You spend as much as you want, and I know it's been somewhat challenging for you, an African American, in a sport of NASCAR that's been predominantly white since its inception. Talk to me about how much of a disadvantage that's been in your racing NASCAR, and now you have someone that Michael Jordan can go out and get those corporate dollars to help you become a more, can put you in with the uh, all those, uh, the Kozlowski's, the Danny Hamlet, even though he's a minority yeah. owner, those guys to put you right there on the level playing field. Yeah, well, in years prior, we were always fighting for that. And I was trying to do everything I could off the racetrack, on the racetrack to attract those sponsors. And um, you never know how they're going to come about. And we look at 2020 and everything that went on there. 
uh, bringing in brand new partners into the sport with DoorDash, Columbia, Root Insurance, you know, having McDonald's come on board for sure. They've been a part of my program for a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. And, and Dr. Pepper, uh, those five partners, I've, I got to see our schedule for, for this upcoming year. And there's not one empty slot, not one empty slot. And years prior, years prior, it's been eight, 15 slots that are open. And we were questioning, we were looking at each other like, how are we going to make this work? We always did. We always did. But hey, knowing that we are fully funded throughout the year, it's a pat on my pat on the back to my, my, my camp. Uh, I'll give a pat on my back to myself, but just everything, everybody in my corner that's helped me get to this position, um, it's going to be a heck of a year. We got no excuses. That was my motto coming into this year. No excuses. I got the funding. I got the car. I got the people. Just got to have the driver. So we're good. You also drove for Joe Gibbs. Um, mm-hmm. I played in the league. I'm old enough to remember I played mm-hmm. against some of his team, Coach Gibbs' team. What was it like? What type of man? I, I know he's a man of faith, but what Absolutely. type? what was he like around the track? The same as, as what you know. That's, that's you know, and that's very powerful because that's how I like to align myself. What you see me talking to you today is how we would be sharing a drink here on the couch here or wherever you're at, you know, hanging out. I don't change for anybody anything. And and that's how coach is. Coach wants to win. He has that winning mentality. But he doesn't change who he is, you know, depending on where he's at. He's that same man, same man of faith. Great, great guy to be a part of, uh, aligned with. And uh, honored to say I've raced for him and, and kind of racing for or with him this year with the uh, partnership with Toyota and JGR there. Let's get to, to NASCAR. We know what NASCAR has been a predominantly <clears throat> white sport since its mm-hmm. inception. Predom- a lot of their, the majority of their fans, I'd say 95 to 98% of their fans have been white. You are the lone full-time black driver. Normally when people are the only, they mm-hmm. tend to sit back. I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I'm happy to be here. I don't want to cause a ruckus. I don't want anybody to look at me. Why was it so important for you to say, NASCAR, there's some things that's going on here that's not right. And if we try to build, get, you know, build and, and, and bring more people, we're going to need to change some things. Why was it so important for you to take that, that stance? You know, I don't know if it's necessarily important or it is. Don't get me wrong. It is important, but I think that's part of my personality. I'm okay. not a person to sit back and not want to ruffle any feathers. I am the, if you've seen in years past, my mouth's got me in trouble a lot. It's, it's got <laughs> me some good deals. It's got me some bad deals. And I'm the one to cross the boundary and, and, and apologize later, ask for forgiveness later, you know. And this was something that, you know, a lot of it came from talking to or seeing what others had to say. Right. And so you were kind of peer pressured into it a little bit, not saying that I was pushed to say what I wanted to. I was just like, you know what? There's a point here. Let me do some more research and understanding of what's going on and figure out how we can make this a better place for everybody. And, and I was just like, you know, what? social media is so powerful. It's the quickest way to help you. And it's the quickest way to hurt you. Pick your poison, which way you want to go. Right. And sometimes you're trying to go one way and it ends up another. And so you just have to be, comfortable with what you're saying, comfortable in your own skin, what you're doing. And uh, for me, I just, it was like, hey, this needs to change. This needs to stop. We got to do better. And let's make this a more inclusive place. And uh, while there was, everything's 50-50, glass half full, glass half empty. You know, there's a lot of good that come out of it. And there was a lot of bad that come out of it. But uh, so be it. I think 
I think actually there was more good to come out of what the changes have made for NASCAR. The biggest thing for us is, okay, we can't get stagnant. We have to keep going. We have to keep pushing for more. There's a never ending process in the direction that we're heading. So what are we doing? What are we going to do to, to keep making this more inclusive for everybody to be a part of it? The Confederate flag was prominent. Mm -hmm. it, it, it waved proudly behind those campers, those Winnebago's, those trucks. Yep. You as an African-American understanding what that flag actually meant <laughs> and how many people died behind that flag. Mm -hmm. What, what was your feelings like seeing that flag, knowing that you had to go race those tracks? And then what was the conversation like when you had, you had with NASCAR saying, guys, it's, it's got to change. So honestly, Shannon, I, I didn't understand the full effect of that flag until this past year. Okay. This was, this was another flag to me. Like I, I kind of knew like the rebel flag and, right. you know, never really, I kind of just kept it at that and then right. didn't really say Confederate flag and then starting to see more conversations. And, and I remember certain tweets, um, I'll never go to a NASCAR race because of the Confederate flag, or I'll, I'll never go back to a NASCAR race because of that. And I'm like, and I'm like, hold up, time out. Let me Confederate flag type it in, do my research which a lot of people don't want to do nowadays. They're just so quick to jump to a conclusion. It's like, right. do your research, get an understanding for yourself, do your due diligence. So I did that and I'm like, okay, this is causing a lot of, of hurt and pain and it's isolating, you know, our demographic to where we're at. And it's like, we, I know for a fact that NASCAR provides so much more opportunity than what it's given and what, what the, it's labeled as. And so how do we get past that barrier? Let's start with Confederate flag. Okay, this is going to be a, a bold move, risky move for a lot of people. We're going to lose some fans. Now you know you go, Bubba. You know you knew as an African American because they say, "Okay, you come in here, you upset an apple cart." You knew yeah. you were going to take some criticism for this, right? Oh, absolutely. Every just by me waking up saying good morning, I start criticism. I <laughs> I learned that. Okay, okay. There's people that don't like that you woke up breathing. Okay, <laughs> I I have accepted that a long time ago. Okay, so. It doesn't matter if I'm handing out hundred dollar bills to people; they're just mad at that. So I I have stopped caring about what other people think. Okay, and and so the, I knew going into it, it's like okay, get ready, roll your sleeves up because it's about to get feisty. And you've seen a lot of people leave the sport, never going to pay attention to the sport again. But those are the same people that are still tweeting at you bad things and it's like i thought you were gone are you still here or what move on or not yeah. stay and come enjoy yeah, the party. When, when you gonna win a, when you gonna win a race bubba exactly it's <laughs> like bro you're 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 barking up the same old tree like okay give me a chance here we got it so okay uh, yes i knew going into that it was going to be a lot but hey nascar was on board everybody in my camp was on board the drivers the teams crew members everybody a part of the whole sport was on board with the direction if they weren't then they were gladly shown the door and that was it how do you I, yeah sure the drivers the crew chiefs i mean i'm sure maybe some like that's yep. nothing wrong with flat but yep. how do you convince the hundred thousand that's been doing it this way for 70 plus years because you mentioned you want to make it more inclusive, which means you want others other that doesn't necessarily look like them to come and have an enjoyable experience at the track like they're having. How, how, how do you convince the fans that they can still enjoy the track without that flag flying? 
so I have seen there's there's three people, three types of people, the ones okay. that will never accept change, the ones that will consider change, and the ones that are like, okay, yeah, this is changing and I'm all for it. They're, those are the people that are doing the homework and seeing that life is much bigger than themselves. It's about our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and, and making this a better place. And so while it's like, okay, the ones that aren't going to change, we don't want you. The ones that are considering it, let's, let's have a drink. Let's have a beverage. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's get you on the other side of the fence. Then you decide if you want to go that route or if you don't. We ain't pushing you. We're just trying to help educate. And the ones that are, are for the change, it's like, okay, give us some time. We're coming up with a game plan. We're going to keep this going. And so that's, that's what we've kind of looked at as a whole of like, okay, here's the three sections that we got. We got 75,000 people over here and they won't change. We got 150 here in the maybe considering it. And then we have 300,000. Okay, we're going to target this area. We're not, you know, those people appreciate your time, but we are, we are moving on with or without you. Memorial Day weekend, um, George Floyd. Mm-hmm. And then we, you saw the uprising and people like watching a man die on live television. And then you see the athletes from LeBron James and to Serena Williams and all the pro uh, football players. What did Bubba Wallace feel? And what did you feel your responsibility? And what did you want to do to get your message out and say, America, enough is enough. We got to be better. Yeah, well, it's just so tough because people – People see it as, and, and people of color understand it totally. And it's hard for people that are not of color because it's like, well, this doesn't affect me. Right. Well, that's, yes, but no, that's, that can't that's be a shallow your, way of thinking. Exactly. And it's like, this should affect you because at the end of the day, take skin color out of it. This is human beings. This is people. Right. You, know, you wouldn't want your family treated like this. So why are you letting some person that you don't know? being treated like this. And so trying to convey and orchestrate that message and get that out to your peers and your colleagues has been another challenge uh, and getting them to understand because, you know, inside our walls, inside our four walls of NASCAR, there was five or six of us that, that would say something. And that leaves 35, 34 of the people out there that are silent. And it's just like, this ain't the right look. You know, you guys got to step up in a, in a powerful way, in a positive way. And so uh, while we're still working on that, you know, for me, it was, this was, you know, I've gone through racial discrimination from law enforcement. I, I've, just to an extent, obviously, I'm here to tell my story and, and we've lost a lot of, of, of people, a lot of wonderful people to, you know, uh, law enforcement just abusing their authority. And it's just like, man, this is, when is this going to change and how, how do we get a chance? How do we make it to where, you know, this is the most important thing talked about. And, and a lot of people, they'll say, shut up and dribble, shut up and play football, keep politics out of the sports, you know, because they look at us as the entertainment and they don't want to see us as anything else. You're an entertainer. That's it. Right. Nah, brother, we are people. And then when this starts affecting us, that's when it rises us up to say something. Now, all of a sudden, that whole entertainment role is out the window. Yeah, we still going to entertain because that's what we do. That's what we know. But at the same time, we are going to try to make this world a better place for our kids coming up through, for our next generation coming up through. So get with that or move on because this is what's happening. And so 
while sports have have been in a position to talk and use their platforms, which is so powerful. Mm -hmm. And I encourage all athletes from all backgrounds to do. Uh, there's still a lot of work to be done. You look at what happened a couple of weeks ago where people were upset at the election. Um, they lost. It was a fair election. It was free election. It was the most secure election in the history of our country. But the person that they wanted to win did not win. Yep. And they felt the recourse that they needed to take was to overthrow basically a coup, overthrow the yep. government and yep. put our guy in place again. <clears throat> it's the very thing if that you notice, Bubba, when blacks have a grievance, if they have a complaint, if this country is so bad, leave. It's almost as if we, this is our country. We mm -hmm. have a right to criticize this. We have a right to complain. Black, shut up. Be grateful that you're here. You get yep. gainful employment, and we don't want to hear from you. So, yep. what? How do how do we how do we convince those to see us as equal? To say we have flesh and we have skin in the game, also. <laughs> I think if we knew that answer, it'd be a much better place. <laughs> so, I think I think you know there was a show of entitlement that we've seen there at the Capitol. And, yes. and, you know, I think that's the same show that we have when we show up to the racetracks or the basketball course. It's like, this is our court, right. you know, but this is on a much broader scale. Take, take out sports, take out, this is dictating how our life is run and, and, and controlled basically. Correct. Um, and it's like, okay, like you said, we have skin in the game too. Why can't we express that? Why can't we show that? I don't know why it's not allowed. Just because only I think they're scared of us. <laughs> oh, no. <clears throat> AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. I think some a lot of this has to do, Bubba, they look at it if you're like black and successful, why do you care about someone that's black and not successful? Why do you care if you have, if you have a, you live in a gated community, you have nice cars, you have a nice bank account. Shannon, why do you care about them? Because I'm human, because mm -hmm. I have something called empathy. I have exactly. something called compassion. And exactly. it's, it's just not, I, I've never looked at it, Bubba. I don't know. And I don't want to speak for you and I want to speak for anybody else, but I've never been one that says, because I have everything is well, is well in the world. That's not how I look at it. That's not nope. how I was raised. Nope. Nope. If I show up in a nice car, I'm, I'm hesitant. I'm not the boastful, like, Oh, check me out. This is what it is. This is what it's all about. You know, this is like, Hey, if you work hard, you can get to these levels one day. And I encourage everybody to work hard and, and do what you got to do and, and push people to be better from right. all aspects. That's what, that's what it's about. It's about lending that helping hand. How can we get you to the next level and uh, whatever aspect it is in life, whatever job, whatever career you have, you know, how can you be better? 
you know, seeing what I do as motivation, use that. Seeing what you do as motivation, I use that. You know, it's, it's not being the jealous type or, or the too good for one another because I know where I came from. I didn't have nothing. But if you work hard and put your mind to it, anything is accomplishable. And so it's just, man, it's, it's so tough to, to have all the correct answers on how making this world a better place. That's why these conversations are being had is to figure out all that. And, and for us to sit down and have that dialogue, have that fellowship, and then other people will start to watch and latch on and be like, you know what, these guys make a pretty good point. Um, but I think showing that we all bleed the same, we all cry the same, we all put on our pants the same way, it's like, we're not saying we're better than you, you're not better than us, we're all equal. When, right. when can we understand that? What, what, what's it gonna take? Obviously, the, the looting, the rioting, and whatever we've seen that was the chaos at the Capitol, that ain't the right way. That's you just expressing your feelings. Yeah, sure, but that still ain't the right way to do things. So we got to see when they did that, they say those are people that are pissed off. But when blacks see people, we protest inequality, we protest uh, police brutality, we protest uh, uh, things of that nature. Oh, well, well, it's an excuse, excuse, it's excuse. Excuses, excuses all day long. <laughs> excuses are like elbows. Everybody's got one. <laughs> Close enough. I said, that in the, I said that in the nice way. You know what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. Since we're talking about social issues, one of the greatest Americans, one of the most famous Americans has a birthday coming up. Doc, MLK, Dr. King. Yeah. What does he mean to Bubba Wallace and what do you think, if he was alive today, what do you think, after what he had gone through in the late 50s and 60s, if he was alive today, what do you think he would say? I think we want to know what that dream was that he has. <laughs> <laughs> Is this the part of that dream that he had? Uh, I, I, honestly, I don't know. I sit there and think about that a lot. I think about not to get off topic, but I sit there and think about how the music industry would be different if Pac and Biggie were around, how racing would be if Dale Earnhardt Sr. was around, you know, wow. how, how things would be different if, if the certain leaders that we had in this world were around. Right. And, you know, I don't know what he would say. He, none of us are happy, so he wouldn't be happy. Right. Um, but, Maybe he would have more more push to uh, to create change. I, I don't know. That's just tough. And I think about that constantly from every aspect, every profession, whatever, leaders, music, racing, sport, whatever it is. I'm always like, what would they say? And I never have the answer. What what did your parents, did your parents talk to you about Dr. King? I'm sure in your situation, they probably experienced some things mm -hmm. that were very unpleasant. What What was it like with your background? Honestly, I grew up in a diverse neighborhood. Uh, I had friends from all backgrounds. Um, I went to school in a majority white school, I would say. I asked my mom this uh, two weeks ago. I was like, hey, do you know the numbers on, on, on Northwest where I went to school? And she was like, no. I was like, majority white? She was like, yeah, for the most part. And I was like, yeah, I, I would think so. And But it, I, didn't, I didn't understand, know those things. I just thought every school was the same, you know? Right. You know, there's all black school. I, I didn't understand that stuff until after, actually I got out and got to experience the real world. It's like, oh, okay. You know, there's different demographics here and there. But for me, it's like, hey, if we if we treat each other with respect, then we can be friends. And and if we don't, 
it's not it's it's not the respect deal. Obviously, you respect everybody, but is if we don't agree on something, this is what's wrong with the world. People hate you because you say something different instead of just being like, eh, I don't agree with that. I don't I don't hate them, but I just don't agree with that and move on. Right. You know, I've had plenty of people come through my life and say some some hey the sky is red and I'm like I don't agree with that I don't know if we can you know vibe but hey have a good day though you know whatever respect right. to you no it's it now now it's like what'd you say okay now you know we gotta fight I gotta kill you I gotta do this I gotta hurt right. you because you said some dumb stuff it's like that's it's not a place we should be in a violence and so for me I didn't have it hard growing up I, I, like I said, I experienced those, those run-ins with the law and, Hey, you got drugs or guns. You have a nice car here. It's like, no, I don't, but I know why you're asking. It's because of the way I look and, and that's not right, <laughs> but I can buy you one if you want one big dog. But Hey, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't go there. on him. I didn't go there. Right. <laughs> Dr. King says life. Most pressing question is what are you doing for others? Do you feel a sense of responsibility that you're in the position, the platform that you have, not only to speak out, but to do, to make sure it's better for the next generation. Because everybody keeps saying it's going to get better, it's going to get better. And, I and I'm like you, man, Dr. King, in your dream, how much worse did it get before it got better? Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think we all got to go through adversity. We all got to go through a low point in life. And and I hope this is our low point. I hope it don't get much worse than this because it's pretty bad across the whole board for, for our world right now. Right. Uh, with this virus and, and then everything that's going on in our nation. Um, but, you know, God has a plan for all of us. And, and that's, you know, I, I kind of stand behind that. And everything happens for a reason. And it's so, it's so weird to think, but things happen for a reason. And that's, that's what it is. And that's what I go off of. And so I don't kind of go too far off the deep end and try to figure out why this happened it's just because it did and so I think you know we like I said we all got to experience some bad before we get to the good in our life and and it's how you it's how you come out of that bad it's how that bad shapes you shape you the right way or the wrong way you got to pick and choose your battles there you you were in a program called drive for diversity tell yeah. us a little bit about the program yeah so when we jumped on it was a brand new year for in years past you went through a uh, combine type deal, uh, competition-based deal. You had 60 drivers. They would windle it down to 10, and then they would ship you out across the states, you know, go to certain teams. You'd be there for a full season in whatever series it was, and that was it. And when I jumped in, everything was in-house. Everything was moved to Rev Racing right there in Mooresville, um, and all the drivers were in the same team, crew chief, same area. Like we were all, you know, four k in cars, six late models. Like we were, we were all in house working together. And, um, you know, it was, it was documented on BET, you know, change lanes. We got the experience on, off track publicity, just as much as the on track publicity, uh, coming out of the gates for us, winning, uh, me winning the first race at Greenville Pickens Speedway there in 2010. Um, and then kind of, kind of, you know, Hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm here in the sport. I want to make this my career. And then we went on to win uh, four more races in those two years, uh, winning Rookie of the Year, uh, putting together a, a great kind of foundation to uh, the NASCAR ranks. And so, you know, now it's, it's continuing to, buy, to provide opportunities for minorities that necessarily feel like they don't have the funding or the resources to 
get them to that next level. And so now it's like, okay, we'll, we'll get you guys together. You send in your resumes. We look it over. And if we think that you have it, we'll give you a shot. doesn't mean you're in. We'll give you a shot. And they'll hold a uh, three or four day test session for all the drivers. And again, windle it down to I think it's, it's a little bit less. I think it's six now or so. So the spots are a little bit more slim, but you know, if you show up with the, with the attitude and the mindset that that second is not an option, then uh, you got to show that and you got to carry that. And that's, that's uh, one thing that you see kids coming up through now. Critics have said, man, this ain't nothing but window dressing for affirmative action. How do you respond to that? Obviously, there's, like I said, glass half full, glass half empty. This is a great opportunity for minorities. This is a handout for minorities. You you walk your walk. You talk your talk. You, This is your path. You stay on it. Don't let the naysayers get in your head. You, you prove them wrong. And once we win this year, I'm going to prove everybody wrong. <laughs> <laughs> you were born in Alabama. You were raised in North Carolina, which yes, is North Carolina is considered the NASCAR, the racing capital of the world. And you, you're, you're in Concord, yep. around Mooresville, Kannapolis. I've been up in yep. that area. I got my dogs from there. What was it like growing up in North Carolina? And did you always want to be a race car driver? Or did you want to play football, basketball, baseball? How did, the, how did NASCAR get in your blood? Yeah, so we actually lived 10 minutes from the Speedway, 15 minutes from the Speedway. And two times throughout the year, I didn't know that it was May and October. But it always happened to be at those times, and you hear race cars over there, and it's like, what's that? And it's like, that's the racetrack over there. It's like, okay, I'm going to go back outside and play with hide-and-go-seek and tag with my friends or whatever. And uh, that was that. And I started playing basketball at the age of five um, and did the little rec league stuff. And my sister, she's five years older than me. She was, uh, she was playing travel AAU ball. And so we were always traveling around following her. And, and I enjoyed it because her, her, um, her teammates had brothers and sisters that we were all in the same age group. So we were out running around in the gym, having fun. And I would play basketball when I'd get back home. And then I, when I was seven and eight, or no, actually I was eight and nine, I, uh, I jumped on the travel AAU ball team and uh, kind of thought that was my career path. Loved playing basketball. Um, didn't really necessarily know of anything else. I remember going to the Speedway when I was probably – five or six with my parents for a dinner for something. I don't know why we went. And um, I was like, can we go home? I'm ready to go home. Go back to playing outside. And uh, when I was nine, my dad had bought a Harley Davidson, uh, took it to a bike shop to get it all customized out. And the guy who owned the bike shop called uh, or invited us to come out one weekend. And uh, we became really good family friends, even to this day. Um, and next thing you know, it was like, sitting in the stands that weekend my dad was like, hey you want to try this and I'm like sure why not I remember going to the racetrack actually um my dad had a go-kart and I would go to the racetrack with them and I would play with the race cars in the dirt and, and and do all that stuff but that never was like I want to do this right my dad flipped he raced three times and he flipped every single time he flipped three times and so I definitely get my driving skills from him. Um, he was, he's always been a, a racing fan. You know, he's from Nashville. He had, right. my family, part of my family's from Nashville. So they raced okay. up there at the fairgrounds, but it wasn't until we were sitting in the stands. He was like, you want to try it? And I'm like, sure. Why not? And that was it. We went out and bought a go-kart the next weekend and started testing and running. My first race was a national event. We wrecked out cart was mangled and destroyed. And I was like, Hey, can we fix it and get back out there? And my dad was like, 
all right, we're going to be in this sport for a while once I ask that. So the rest is history. No, no. So basketball was first love and yep. then NASCAR. No football, no baseball. I did, I did peewee football and I hated practice. I played football. I remember, I will never forget this. <laughs> I, I was a nose guard, whatever position. That was basically the center when I was five years old. And I, I remember making a play or something and I was so tired. And I, so I walk over to the sideline and everybody's like looking for me. Where's he at? And I'm just sitting there like, yeah, where am I at? <laughs> and, and I'm like, oh, so they had somebody else come out there. And I think that was my last game. I was like, I'm that out. Was, that was the last time of football for you, huh? Yes, that so was the last you, time. So your dad take you to the track at nine years old, asking you, do you want to try it? You go try yeah. it. Uh, you wreck the car. I mean, you wreck the go-kart. And then yeah. I remember we had a go-kart. My brother and I had a go-kart. Mm -hmm. um, we had a, it, had, it came in like three, uh, three uh, horsepower, five, and an eight. Eight was the biggest you could get. Yeah. Uh, uh, for a go kart that was a two because it was we had a you had a single seater and you had a two seater. Yeah. My brother, yep. I, my brother had we had a a a, a two seater. Red, yep. never forget. And then my <laughs> brother bought one for my uh, cousins, a black one that had a, a five horsepower engine that was a single seater. So when you get started, and I guess you go from go karts and you graduate to midgets. Uh, how successful were you? And did you were you going all across the country racing these things? Yeah, so we were covering about a four-hour four radius uh, once we kind of gotten established in the sport. But uh, in our go-kart days, we were racing uh, in Virginia. We were racing – my first race, like I said, was a national event in Florida. First okay. ever time basically on the racetrack was in Florida, 300 carts. So we were traveling kind of all over. Jasper, Florida was at a, was the was the town there. I don't know if that speedway is still there. but uh, But it took us about a year and a half. We, we spent about two years in every series. We felt like that was the right amount of time in every series. And it's like, okay, here's a new, bigger and faster car. Um, but it took us, I, I don't know, I don't remember, let's say six months. And it was like, okay, we're starting to figure this stuff out. Uh, I remember in Bandoleros, our uh, first year was growing pains. And the second year, we won 35 out of 48 races that year. Wow. And um, and we were traveling all over. Uh, and then Legend but, Car Days. But did, but, a, did, did a lot of the kids look like you? Because I'm thinking there's going to be some resentment. You went in that many races as the only black, and this, the majority of them are white. They're like, hold on, what's going on? Did they check your go-kart? Did they think you had something special? <laughs> oh, every week. We got DQ before we even got off the racetrack, bro. <laughs> it was... It was it was pretty bad there for a little bit. We uh when we got to the Bandolero ranks um, and Legend Car stuff, we were our mentality. I have a good friend that we race against each other now, Daniel Hemrick. He said he says we were either winning and fighting or losing and fighting. We weren't going down without a fight. <laughs> I mean, we were we were in your face yelling, calling you every name in the book, but we were there to win, and we were done wrong in, in so many ways from. The officiating to whatever it was. I, I'll never forget. We uh, we had won a legend car race in uh, at Charlotte over at Speedway, and and I go and do my interview. And as I'm coming in to pull in the tech, my dad's standing there pointing me by with a very aggressive point. Like, and I'm like, "What's up? We're supposed to pull in here." He's like, "Nope, they DQ'd us. They said we don't know what you got, but we know you're cheating. You're DQ'd. Go back to the hauler." And uh, and it was like, okay. So that we kind of knew our place there. It's like, if they can't beat us, they're going to protest us and everything. And, hey, we got caught cheating one time. That was it.
and it was for something that was some bogus stuff. But hey, other than that, <laughs> we won fair and square. I'm reading. So I guess the the legends is kind of like AAU for basketball. Like you travel, you go yep. around the country, yep. and yep. the best team from the in the age groups are all over. And yep. you're with so I, I guess if you know, if I got a good AAU traveling basketball team and I'm winning all the tournaments, people are gonna naturally think I'm recruiting the players. So they got you got to be doing there's no way Bubble can win all these races. 48 races, he wins 35. He got to be doing something. He, let's check his engine. Let, what, what's he doing that we're not? They, yeah, they always were uh, suspicious. You know, suspect of, of, yeah, suspicious of something going on. They never wanted ex to accept the uh, the experience or the the uh, talent that I had. Right. But, hey, so be it. It's, it's fun talking about those stories now, looking back on all that stuff, seeing where we came from, where we went. I'm reading that your mom was the track star at the University of Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about your mom and her influence on you in, in, in racing. Yeah, mom's been the backbone uh, for my sister and for myself in our in our careers, and and it's been uh, it's been cool to see. I remember I'll never forget kind of 2009, 2010 when we kind of signed on with JGR, and that was kind of their big break. You know, 2008 we spent a quarter of a million dollars uh, for for myself on the, to, to stay on the racetrack. And uh, that was probably our best year in racing for sure in the late models. But uh, 2009, 2000, funny story about that. 2009 was when we signed on with JGR and started getting, you know, a couple grand, here you go, give you some oil, give you some product to help you out. That was our worst year ever. I quit, I quit halfway through 2009. I said, we, we were showing up to racetracks where we had run second, we had run top five at, and we show up in 2009, we were getting lapped in the first 20 laps. And I said, I'm, I quit. I'm done. I didn't come here to run to run this bad. And so we, we closed up shop in 2009. And then luckily, the drive for diversity day is coming about. But my mom was always there supportive of everything that went on um, and everything. You, you grew up in a biracial household, mm -hmm. which is, is very difficult, especially in the South. Because on one side, you're black, but they say, you're not really black. And on the other side, you're not, you're definitely not white. So you caught it on both sides. So how, what was it like growing up in the South from a biracial household? Man, I, I never felt like, I was just always that, I guess, happy-go-lucky kid and just didn't, didn't necessarily notice if anybody was giving me a side eye or treating me different. I was just okay. like, I was like, man, I guess he ain't cool, whatever. And you just kind of move on about it. And, and you don't think of, you don't think about why. It's just like, well, hell, I'm going to go hang out and do all the fun stuff. You can sit over here and be mad for whatever reason you're mad about. Uh, but I honestly don't know of, of how bad I really had it. And, and in those terms, I'm not saying everything was perfect and I grew up in this, you know, wonderful deal. I'm maybe sure that's I, a good thing. Maybe I was just so young and naive that I was just like, hey, I'm ready to play hide and go seek with friends. Let's do it. Right. And not really understand why, why can't, why can't little Johnny come out and play today? Because, and then the parents will close the door and it's just like, okay, he must be in trouble. <laughs> you know, <it's> up <laughs> <to him. laughs> and so not knowing that I was probably the issue, but anyways, um, I'm sure my parents got to experience a lot, unfortunately, but you know, we didn't really have those conversations of, you know, 
hey, we experienced this today. You know, this is what happened. It was, they, I'm sure they kept that to themselves. But once we got into the racing world, we were able to talk about it a little bit more. Wendell Scott, um, he's the only other black driver to race full-time on NASCAR. What was it like meeting him, and what does that mean to carry the legacy? Because there haven't been very many, and they haven't had the, the longevity that you seem to be having. Yeah, yeah. I, um, you know, being able to know his family, and, and I'll never forget meeting Wendell Scott Jr. and hearing the stories about, um, the, you know, their dad and what he went through and, and, and then being a part of Petty and knowing how big of an influence that uh, Petty was to, to Wendell Scott and giving them uh, basically hand-me-down parts and pieces to, to help him, you know, stay on the racetrack and compete the following weeks. And so I just, you know, you know, live for all those stories and knowing how much of a pioneer he really was. And, you know, he, I felt like I'm kind of like him. He's just there to race. He's not there for any of the other bulls, bull stuff that that's going on to, to, you know, to the media side of things. It's just like, Hey man, I might look different, but Hey, we all still driving, you know, 60 laps here. Let's give it our all. And, and then, you know, shake hands after, but it wasn't that easy for him uh, as it is today. Um, but knowing that he just wanted to show up and drive, that's all I want to do. But let me ask you, I mean, you drive cars. Let me ask you a question. If something goes on with your car, could you fix it? To an extent. It's so <laughs> it's so engineer-based now. It's so engineer-based now. It's, that's going to be my excuse. There's so much intricate stuff that I wouldn't know what to do. But to an extent, I could put some air in the tires and fuel in the tank. We could be going. Now, I'm not talking about your race car. I'm talking about the car that you drive every single day. If something goes on Ooh. with that. Oh, well, see, now, now in those, they're so intricate. Hey, your your uh your your blinker's not working. That that affects every something in the fuel line, and that affects something. It's like, geez, just give me the old school stuff. I'll, I'll be good. Uh, I'm reading a story about Wendell Scott and how he was denied a trophy and a winner's check. Yeah, and he won a, he won a race by two laps, but he was denied the, the trophy and the check. Yeah, that's when uh, NASCAR was trying to find their way. I'll say that because this was a obviously different time. Uh, in society and in our history to where, you know, coloreds weren't accepted. Um, and so him showing up on the scene, you know, he wasn't accepted from the sanctioning body. And obviously things have changed tenfold now, uh, you know, with me and, and all the African-Americans that are a part of our, our sport are welcome with open arms. And so, you know, seeing that, it's like, man, just, it just makes you appreciate the history and see how far things have come and, right. and still how far things have to go. And then I, I read that they denied him, but once the fans left the track, yep. they gave him the check. They gave him enough money to, to, to cover his gas expense and handed him the trophy to get yep. back to where he came from. So basically it wasn't about, they knew he had won, but they couldn't give this man the winner's check and the, the, and the presentation in front of the fans. Yeah, they said it was a, uh, a, they, a missed scoring. Yeah, yeah they, 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 oh, we, we had this missed score here, so. <laughs> Yeah. So it's just, it's just crazy to think that, you know, look at the technology and the people that were in place and how much of it's went to technology. You know, back then there were people, my mom had to do this one time, had to write down a hash mark for 250 laps. It's like, if we knew the system, Hey, give me an extra lap. So I'm ahead of the field by a lap. Right. You know, it was, that's how people used to time and score people. You'd mark a, you'd cross the start finish line. You'd mark a lap. You'd mark another lap. I would fall asleep if I was doing that. And so yeah. seeing how that has gone from people to now technology, we have timing and scoring, we have 
transponders and whatever. It's just like, man, crazy, but still not acceptable. What are some of the other, Wendell Scott's probably the most uh, uh, famous of the black, but you got Bill Lester, Willie T. Yeah. Reeves, Elias Bowie, Mark Davis. There's so many um, that obviously didn't get the fanfare that Wendell Scott got. Now you, uh, with, with social media and television and marketing the way it is now, what are some of the other guys that influenced uh, uh, African-American drivers that influenced Bubba Wallace? Yeah, I remember showing up when I was uh, in the legend car days and, and actually seeing Mark Davis uh, racing and getting to know him, become friends with him and watch him come up through the ranks. And I remember sitting there at Hickory Motor Speedway when um, and my dad would be like, you know, watch watch how Mark's racing here because he was fast. He was really good. And, and you know, trying to learn from him, uh, understanding the history and seeing that Bill Lester was in the sport. And I remember playing some old NASCAR games and Bill Lester being, you know, one of the drivers you can pick from. And I would pick him. And I'm kind of thinking like what my mindset was back then when I was 10, 11 years old. Mm -hmm. Was it, was I picking him because he was a black driver? Or I think it was <laughs> because I was like, this is pretty cool. So I'm, I'm going to use him because he, he looks like me. And it's like, okay, I'm going to pick Bill here. And, and, and now actually I had a great conversation with, with, uh, with Bill Lesser last week um, on how we can make this a uh, better sport for minorities coming up through uh, and just and motorsports in general better for minorities. So it's uh, it's pretty cool to see how everything come full circle. Well, but, uh, when you really look at it, there are certain sports that are kind of cost prohibitive, especially for mm -hmm. minorities. You mm -hmm. look at golf, you got yep. green fees, you got clubs, uh, you look at tennis, you need to normally be a club. There are not a whole lot of uh, public yep. tennis courses and racing. Yep. Um, cars, go-karts, even at every level, gas is expensive, parts is expensive. How do we get it so my, more minorities can get in, get involved? Because it's right, it might be a little cost prohibitive for a lot of minorities. It is, and that's the, that's the God's honest truth. And, and, you know, those are the phone calls that we've, we've constantly from, not even minorities, this, this is Coach Gibbs, this is going to be Denny Hamlin, Michael Jordan calling up NASCAR and being like, this is way too expensive. Lower the price on this stuff. So it's all of us coming together as a collaborative group to figure out how we can be more cost efficient from all aspects on the race car. I mean, every every part and piece is X amount of dollars that adds up to a multi-million dollar bill. And, um, you know, even getting into the lower ranks, you know, for me, I got back into the go-kart stuff about five, four or five years ago, and I was dropping 3500 bucks to five grand uh, just to get in the go-kart stuff and then spending 1800 bucks on tires every week. Like people don't have that. And so it's like, man, how do we, how do we, you know, cut the cost down a lot? The supply and demand is, is, is crazy right now. When you go to a racetrack and you see people that look like Bubba Wallace, what are you feeling? Uh, proud for sure because you know some i've seen though don't even know who i am and that's totally fine I, they got on some other gear and i'm like hmm i wonder if they know there's there's african american out there you know <laughs> i need to be like yo look here <laughs> um but i think it's it's super cool there's been a lot of people coming up through the ranks uh from drivers to just fans 
um, that are minorities from African American background, uh, from all backgrounds, really, that, that want to be a part of the sport or are tuning into the sport. So it's super cool. Uh, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunities that I've had um, and looking to further that, looking to further those relationships and just make my name more of a household name on the racetrack. I remember you showing up to the track and you driving the all black, Black Lives yep. Matter car. Yep. I can't breathe t-shirt. Yep. There's, there, there's just something about, look, you're there differently. You can have a yellow car, you can have a green car, but there's something about a black car. There's just yep. something about black. Maybe maybe because Dale Earnhardt and the Intimidator, maybe he made it cachet and he had the, the guy wore glasses on and, you know, he would bump you and, and he'd do... He, Pitch you and, and, and to win. Maybe that's what it is. But there's something about a black car. When you showed up in that car and what was going through your mind, what made you decide to say, okay, today is the day that I'm going to do this? Well, listen to the irony that you say. Man, black is so sharp. Black cars are so sharp. Black people are so sharp, too. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and people don't want to accept that. <laughs> um but that day, that, that I think it was like a week and a half before that, that race, um, I was, it was brought to me like, hey, this race is unsponsored. This was right around Blackout Tuesday when that movement was going through. And I thought my Instagram feed was broken because it was just a bunch of black squares. I'm like, what's going on right now? And then I finally understood what, what it was. Right. Uh, it was that day. Uh, it's like, hey, what about a Blackout car for Martinsville? And I'm like, that'd be pretty badass. That's cool. Let's do it. You know, all black car, no sponsors. And then we got to toss around some ideas. It's like, well, instead of a black car, let's let's figure out an organization or or something to kind of give back a and cause. show some, yeah, cause to uh, to give to and 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 make it that. And I'm like, okay. And so I, it took me about ten minutes, and I was like, hey, let's just put hashtag Black Lives Matter. Just put that on there. Don't have to call directly to somebody and ask for permission. Just put that on there. And so that was, that was that, that was it. And then uh, Richard Petty was like, well, let's put the peace symbol here. Let's put some, something on the hood. And I'm like, right. okay, let's make this a, a, a love, compassion and understanding car that, you know, everybody can rally behind. Well, obviously you put that hashtag on the car, then you are. And everybody ain't rallying behind it. <laughs> oh yeah. It's like, oh, you, you stand for this. You stand for that. Da, 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 this and that. And I'm like, man, Dang, I should have put Black Lives Matter 2 on the race car. T-O-O. Right. Just to be like, hey, my black, my black life matters, you know, just as much as yours does. Like, hey, just want to put that out there. But no, it was it was a very controversial deal, but ended up being one of the best races of my career for sure. Uh, ton of fun that night at Martinsville and just uh, just an incredible moment for for sport, for for the nation, for the world, really. You mentioned about your encounter with the police. You got pulled over. Talk about what happened and what was going through your mind because you know how sometimes encounters with police officers and African-Americans doesn't always end with a friendly outcome. Yeah, no, for sure. I was uh, going to my friend's house in, in Virginia uh, on the first occasion and uh, got pulled over for not using my uh, turn signal and going down 77 there. And I was like, okay, my bad. And uh, comes back, hands me, I think I got a ticket for that. And he, he does the old, here's your license and registration back. Wait a minute. You guess it's a nice car. You got guns, drugs, or weapons in here? I was like, no, I sure don't. Um, 
And he was like, well, mind if I search your vehicle? And I was like, no, go ahead. And I was just like, not really understanding the moment there until I talked to my family after. And, and uh, I was, once I realized, it, I quickly realized they asked me to get out of the vehicle. I stood about 20, 30 yards away, had three other cops show up and went through my whole car, didn't find anything. I had just got my car cleaned that morning before I left. So it was spotless. And, um, and so that was, they were like, well, we didn't find anything. Have a good day. And it was like, yeah, I told you that before this 30 minute ordeal. <laughs> and so when I went upon my way, I was pissed. I was frustrated, called my mom and then went, uh, this was fast forward. No, that was 2010. Fast forward to about 2017, 2016, um, going to the golf course, I believe. And, uh, and I'm, going down highway three here right here in, in Kannapolis and a car pulls out right in front of me and so race car mentality you pull out right in front of me you got you got a couple seconds before I I want to hit you but I'm not going to hit you because then it's obviously insurance and stuff but I'll get I'll get this close and if, if my girlfriend's riding with me she she hates that she freaks out I'm like chill I know what I'm doing but I got right up on the bumper of this car and I'm like what the hell go so I slammed on my horn to go because I was going, it was, it was 55. So I was going probably 16 to 55 and this car pulls out going 20. And so I slam on brakes and everything. So I honk on the horn, throw on their hazards. So I'm like, okay, obviously this person is struggling with something. Their car is a beat. It was an old beat or two. So I look, nobody coming, double yellow lines, hazards on. So I go around them, pull up to the stoplight, three cops get out, guns out of their holsters, not pointed at me not pointed at me. They're like, pull over here in this parking lot. And I was like, oh, undercover car. And they were like some bounty hunter type people. Right. And so I'm like, okay. So I'll pull over here and I'm like pissed off at the whole situation. Like, it was like, you guys pulled out in front of me. And it was like, well, you passed us on a double yellow line. Well, you pulled out in front of me. Well, you passed us on it. It's like, all right, I ain't going to win this argument. And so they come over and it's like, uh, uh, I'm driving a Lexus at this time. And, uh, and he walks over and he was like, man, this is a nice car. Can you afford it? What do you do? And I'm like, what kind of boy job is that? Yeah. And I said, it doesn't matter what I do. And yes, I can afford it. And I, I was like, yeah, yeah. And I just, cause I wanted to say, yeah, I can have you one here tomorrow too, big boy. But I didn't <laughs> because then, because then that would have been another hashtag. So that's, that's, you know what I hate? I hate when they do that, when you pull me over. And you get, look, you can either write me a ticket and tell me to slow down, but I'm not going to let you lecture me and give me a ticket. Now you're yeah. going to be able to do one or the other and whatever you do, don't patronize me, man. This is a really nice car, bro. Just go ahead and write the ticket and let me yeah. be on your way. Cause I ain't got a whole lot of conversation for you. I ain't got yeah. anything. I just want to get on my way. Yeah. But yeah. you did, you, I, I'm reading that you had a cousin mm -hmm. that lost his life at the hands of the police. Yep. Yep. Um, I was eight years old, I believe, whatever, however old you are in fourth grade. I remember fourth grade and uh, we were in somewhere. We may have been here. I, I want to say we were in Indiana or something at a basketball tournament for my sister. And uh, I remember running through, uh, I remember eating one of those big, remember those big fat, you still get them, the big fat pickles in the packages, the spicy. Yeah, I don't, I don't mess with pickles. No. Okay. okay. All right. Well, I remember having one of those and running around the gym and whatever. 
And I'll never forget this day. We were in the parking lot and I just hear the most terrifying scream from my mom. And I'm like, eat my pickle. Like, what's going on? What happened? And it was our cousin, uh, Sean, uh, was shot and killed uh, the night before. And, or maybe early that morning, I think it was early that morning, two or 3 a.m. that morning. But they said, um, they said that they were at the uh, gas station there in Knoxville at a Weigel's there in, um, in, in Knoxville. And they were playing loud music, like a little, little block party at the gas station. Right. And they said the clerk got scared of, of all the black people there, called the cops. And, um, and they said that um, there was one officer on the side of the car and there was one officer at the back. And they said, my cousin wants to go reach for a gun, but there wasn't. Um, there was a gun, but it wasn't on his side of the car. And that was, uh, that was that he was shot in the back. Wow. Yep. So that, that had a lot to do with your perception of how the, the unfair treatment and how sometimes, and how police look at black motorists as opposed to how they look at our counterparts. Uh, then at eight years old, I was just like, no, not then, talking. but now. Oh yeah. Now. Okay. Yes, yes, for sure. For sure. I got a total different understanding. This, when I was about 14, I was like, oh, I see why he was killed now. Right. You know, uh, then I was just like, wow, we just lost our cousin, you know, and that was right. that. My parents, everybody else knew, but when you're that young, you don't think about it. You just, you just think about a loss in the family. And my family still grieves over that to this day. Um, you know, it's funny. I, was, I just passed through Knoxville um, for our Christmas break and you see uh, a Weigel's and, it, and all you can think of is, is that moment. And, uh, and so, yeah, uh, we, we've lost, uh, we've lost family to that. You know what? I've always wanted to know this because they, I go back and forth and I hear a lot of race car drivers say they are athletes. What type of physical conditioning, what type of shape, I know you got to be in mental shape because you can't have an off moment. You're going 180 miles an hour and you're two inches away from another car, uh, yeah. car or the wall. So I yeah. get the, I get the mental, but what type of physical shape do you need to be in to be in a race car to, for 500 miles or six, uh, 600 miles? Yeah. So back when obviously pre COVID, <clears throat> um, you know, I'll tell you my little secret, what I was doing. I was sitting my happy ass on the couch every day, not doing a dang thing. <laughs> I wasn't working out. I hate working out. It's just, I get so just sidetracked and unmotivated. And then, and so, but pre-COVID, we were there from Thursday to Sunday, every right. weekend. And you were getting your workout from driving the cars. They're not the easiest thing to drive. And so. Yeah, there's, no, there's no power steering. Yeah. Well, there, there's power steering, but. Oh, you got power steering in those cars? Yeah. Yeah. yeah we got power steering. Yeah. I thought yeah. you were I mean, so what? Yeah, I mean, IndyCar. Uh, IndyCar does not have power steering. Okay. Okay. Yeah. IndyCar. Yeah. I'm not sure about Formula One, but we have power steering. But it's not, it's not uncommon for a power steering line to blow off. And then next thing you know, you. That's when we need muscles like you to get around the racetrack. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, knock on wood, that hasn't happened to me. Uh, so hopefully it doesn't. But. Now this year, like I said, my mentality changed after watching Last Dance and watching, if you haven't seen it, the F1 documentary, I think Drive to Survive or something like that. Yeah. Um, watch that and seeing their mentality. Those guys are obviously, you got to be very lean and, and fit right. to be in those cars. Yeah, um, just to fit in those cars. Yes, you get slim. Those, all, every, I think every driver is super slim 
and, and tall, either small and skinny or tall and skinny. Right. Um, but you know, it, it kind of changed my mentality. It's like, okay, I can't sit here and just be lazy the whole time. I actually got to get up and work out. And so years prior, it was probably the first three races I was sore and whatnot, but then you get into a rhythm and you kind of start getting that workout back in. Well, when COVID hit, whoo, there's no more practice. You're jumping straight into the race for right. four hours, 400 laps, whatever it is. It's like, damn, I need to start working out. So uh, sign on with Toyota this year, bringing that relationship back. I was like, hey, I need to get a, in, in the gym and be a part of the TRD, you know, organization and facility that we have here in, in North Carolina. So it's uh, it's been good. I've been in the gym um, a couple times, a few times a week, which is way more than I have been in the gym uh, in the last three years. So I will say that. Well, I know Carl Edwards. I, I, I've seen him work out, and I've yeah. seen him in men's health. Yeah. And I think Jimmy yeah. Johnson is a big is a yeah. big workout for that. Yeah, he's triathlon. Yeah, he's, yeah. he's running the Ironmans and stuff. Yeah. So you, other so than that, other than that, all of us are kind of like, "Hey, I'm doing some workouts." We're yeah, good. yeah. It, it's, it's it's more it's more of this kind of working out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All them Dr. Peppers I got to drink. <laughs> so, what is it like to? I mean, obviously, you have all this equipment. You're strapped in. The doors yep. are, are welded shut. But to hit a wall going 150 plus miles an hour, it's not it's not the fun most fun thing that you can do. Um, you know, I've had my fair shares of hitting the wall. Uh, our our brakes went out there at Pocono, and I thought I was I thought I was dead. Just the way the angle I was going to hit at, and luckily at the last second it turned a different way, and and was able to walk away from it and climb back in the following week. But um, it hurts, it hurts for sure. The initial impact, you brace for impact, and and that's it. But you know, it's it's the inevitable. It's going to happen. You just have to uh, be able mentally when you're younger know if you hit the wall, it's like everything's going to be all right. You just got to get back in and keep doing it. What's Bubba Wallace's per personal car? Personal car right now, I got uh, I got my new 2021 Toyota 4Runner on the way. So right now, I'm in a loaner 4Runner right now. What's your favorite car of all time? Of all the cars that Bubba Wallace has owned, what's his favorite? Mm. My dream car has been an Audi R8. Okay. And I may not have treated myself to my dream car in, in the recent weeks. <laughs> <laughs> if if you could have any if you could have any car um old school new if you could have yeah. any car i mean from a 68 mustang or or you know whatever it may be 250 uh, gt ferrari whatever it could be if bubba Wallace could have you get one car what you taking 19 1960s porsche 356a little speedster yeah those things are going for about 200, 300,000. So I got to win a couple races for that. But that's that's my next car. Since you, you, you're a race car, I'm assuming most of you guys have lead feet mm -hmm. and you have a problem with speeding. Does Bubba Wallace have a problem with speeding? From time to time, if you take the old <laughs> Audi out, you know, it's, yeah, for sure. Um, but honestly, I look at it from a standpoint of the safety of the race cars is right. way better than a street car. Oh, and I can get out. I can get out after hitting the wall at 200 miles an hour. I ain't getting out if I hit the, the barrier or, or a tree at 200 miles an hour in a street car. So no. I know my limits and I'm good. <laughs> Obviously in North Carolina, you drive for team, uh, brand Jordan. Now 
Do you get an opportunity to go to get the very many Hornets game? And what do you think about LaMelo Ball thus far? Uh, so I've been to a, a few in, in my uh, in my lifetime. Uh, I see. I'm not really. I'm more of a collegiate football. I'm a Tennessee fan, obviously. And uh, and so hold on, hold on. Tell me, you born in Alabama? You grew <laughs> up in North Carolina. How the hell are you, you a Tennessee fan? It took you that long to ask that question. Yes, for sure. Hey, uh, all, all I know is is Tennessee owner. My my mom's from obviously Knoxville. My dad's from Nashville. My family's a big UT fan. So I was kind of just thrown into it. But I am Alabama over Auburn. I will say that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I think uh, you know obviously my uh, Charlotte Hornets days will go up a little bit more. And then I. I, I'm watching what Lamelo Ball is doing, um, and and it's good. I've seen his some of his stats today, actually, for the rookie stats. So that's pretty cool to see. And I think there's a, I think there was talks about a little crossover happening with with him and myself. So we'll see. Yeah. What's your favorite, your favorite team sport? Your favorite team? Favorite team professional. sport? Professional? Yeesh. I mean, Charlotte doesn't have too good of a reputation of professional sports, <laughs> but. Because I already know you're a, you're, you're a Tennessee football yeah, fan. Yeah, Tennessee football fan. Oh, man, professional. I kind of just have certain people that I, I've got to meet and, and respect and grow from. Okay, so right now, I will say right now I'm pulling for the Saints because of Alvin Kamara. And he was he was from Tennessee, badass running back. He's going up Well, you know, he actually, he's originally from Georgia. He went to Alabama also, so. I just throw that out. We're there. all just messed up. See, we all just, <laughs> Tennessee is in there somewhere. We're all messed up. So I'm uh, I'm pulling for them. Other than your boss, Michael Jordan, your favorite your favorite basketball player. Um, man, I was always an MJ fan. Um, right now, that's tough. I'm a big LeBron fan, so. I know that's right up there with you. So yeah, yeah, so, yeah. You know, I'll I'll, I'll do yeah. go there. You know yeah. what? I, I'm reading here that you're a big Drake. You know, Drake is your favorite artist. Mm -hmm. Anybody ever call you Drake? Do you guys get mistaken? <laughs> I've gotten that a lot, a lot. <laughs> and I'm like, man, I've gotten Drake and Russell Wilson. So it's just, I guess it's the hair. I don't know. We got the, yeah. we got the good hair. <laughs> so, so what? Before race, what are you listening to? Are you listening to something to get you up, or are you listening to something to chill? Sade, Jill Scott, something mellow. I like some Jill Scott. I like some Anthony Hamilton, some Alicia Keys, yeah. stuff like that, you know. Um, but I am a metalhead. I am the heavy metal, screamo, death metal, metalcore. That's me. And as crazy and loud and screaming that is, that's what calms me down. If I'm listening to some, to some Anthony Hamilton or some, I am jamming. I am pumped up. I am just in a total different vibe. And as to where it's the metal stuff, it's like, okay, let's mellow out here. Let's enjoy this. Let's let's get ready. Bubba, thanks for the time, bro. I really appreciate it. Good yes, luck sir. this year. We need about we need at least we need at least four wins. We get I'll tell you what, win Daytona, and I don't care what you do after that. Just win I said, Daytona. I said two year, two wins this year. We'll two start wins. there. We'll start if, there. If one's Daytona, we good. We good. That's right. Yes, sir. Bro, Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thanks for coming over with me, bro. Good luck this Absolutely. year. Thank you, brother. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life. Look. All my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice. That's why all my life, I've been grinding all my life.
right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring.